Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me. I am so glad that you are listening in today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people, concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up at our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. We begin with a story recounted by Ben Patterson. In 1924, the Dallas Theological Seminary almost went bankrupt. On the day it was to foreclose at noon, Dr. Harry Ironside, the president, held a prayer meeting in his office. That day, he prayed a prayer he had often prayed. Lord, we know the cattle on a thousand hills are thine. Please sell some of them and give us the money. As he prayed with some staff and faculty, a tall Texas oil man walked into the receptionist's office and told the secretary, I just sold two carloads of cattle in Fort Worth. I've been trying to make a business deal go through and it won't work. I've been compelled to give this money to the seminary. I don't know if you need this, but here's the check. The secretary burst into the room where the men were praying and said, Dr. Ironside, Harry, God just sold the cattle. (laughs) <laughs> what a story of answered prayer. If only every prayer was answered so promptly and clearly. I've prayed any number of prayers that didn't turn out quite that way, at least not the way I thought they would. I've also prayed many a prayer where I'm still waiting for the answer. I'm guessing you probably prayed some of those prayers too. For some reason, God in his infinite wisdom does not always answer all of our prayers the moment we pray them. Now, there's an anonymous saying that gives us something to think about when it comes to waiting on the prayers that we're asking for and things we're asking for. And it goes like this. If your prayers were always answered, you'd have reason to doubt the wisdom of God. Well, that's a fair point. We humans often pray for things that are not really for the best. All the same, I wish my prayers were more effective. The more urgent my need, the more worried I am, the more difficult it seems for me to pray well and to get an answer to those prayers. Today, I want us to look at a text of scripture that is a prayer from King David to the Lord in heaven. David is asking for help. His enemies are at hand. He has much to worry about. Yet David prays with authority, with confidence. He seems content to simply have prayed without even getting an answer. And I think we need a little bit of that in our lives. I want you to hear this today. Godly prayer consists of both seeking and waiting, and each must happen in their turn with confidence in God. And when we do this, yeah, we'll find that confidence, more of it, and strength and peace in our prayers. In the first half of Psalm 27, David expresses through worship in the tabernacle how he lives with godly courage in the face of his enemies. The key to David's courage was his certainty of who God is. We've already read last week in the beginning of Psalm 27 that he said, God is my light, my salvation, and and the fortress of my life. With that certainty, David lived courageously, facing into the Lord instead of dwelling on his troubles. And you and I must live the same way, choosing to be consumed by God instead of our worries. So now we turn to the second half of Psalm 27. The first half functioned as a public declaration to all around David of who God is. Now the tone of the psalm has changed. David no longer simply speaks about God, but in verse 7, he speaks directly to God. And we can learn a lot about prayer from that little detail alone. 
Prayer at some point must move from declarations of what we know to be true to an address to our Lord. God is good. That's a great declaration for others to hear. I will seek the Lord's face. Another declaration. God, you are good. Lord, I seek your face. Sure, those are still declarations, but they are now stated to God and are much more personal. And this gets us closer to the heart of a better prayer. And I want you to remember that prayer is a personal conversation with God. This is what we'll see in the second part of Psalm 27. And you will grow in your prayer life when you see prayer as that conversation between you and God. In Psalm 27, verses 7 through 14, David is very personal in his address to God. He may be standing in a crowded room of worship at the tabernacle, but for these few lines of this psalm, it is a prayer between David and God alone. Let's read the text, and as we do, I want you to listen for that personal conversation, the personalness of David's words to God, and listen for the ways that he seeks God and waits upon God. Let's read the text in Psalm 27, beginning in verse 7. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face, and your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, Lord, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I am struck by the confidence in this prayer. Because David sees his enemies. You can read his description in verses 3 and 4. They are described as devourers, a besieging army of all-out war upon David. In the face of such enemies, David is still confident in God. And that confidence comes from a rich, vibrant relationship with the Lord. Evidence of that relationship is found in David's prayer. And prayer is essential to confidence in the midst of life's troubles. The great reformer Martin Luther put it simply, Pray and let God worry. And E.M. Bounds says this, Trouble and prayer are closely related. Trouble often drives men to God in prayer, while prayer is but the voice of men in trouble. Prayer is essential to a healthy relationship with God. Timothy Keller says this about the impact of prayers and what they have on your relationship with God, and he writes these words. A pastor and friend of mine, Jack Miller, once said that he could tell a great deal about a person's relationship with God by listening to him or her pray. You can tell if a man or woman is really on speaking terms with God, he said. My first response after hearing this was to make a mental note never to pray aloud near Jack again. I had years to test out Jack's thesis. It is quite possible to become florid, theologically sound, and earnest in your public prayers without cultivating a rich private prayer life. You can't manufacture the unmistakable note of reality that only comes from speaking not toward God, but with Him. Mm. 
And while much can be said about what goes on into a healthy prayer life, Psalm 27 shows us that there's a pattern of seeking and waiting that is needed in prayer. So let's take a look at both of those today. Let's start with seeking. Now, seeking is different from (laughs) telling. I I suspect that most people think of prayer as telling God our needs, our worries, and even praising God. And it's good to do those things. That's a part of the conversation. But seeking is a little different. Seeking carries with it the intent of finding a person or a thing. And David is bent on finding God. I think a lot of prayers are sent up to God, but not actually looking for God, seeking Him. We sell ourselves short. If all we seek is an answer to our prayers, we get the privilege of seeking the very God of the universe, the creator of all things. So we need to know what we're seeking for, because you can look for the wrong things. There's a story of a group of tourists who spent hours on a Saturday night looking for a missing woman uh, near Iceland's Eldiga Canyon, only to find her among the search party. The group was traveling through Iceland on a tour bus, and they stopped near a, vol- near a volcanic canyon, and soon there was word of a missing passenger. The woman, who had changed clothes, didn't recognize the description of herself and joined in the search. The searchers called off about 3 a.m. when it became clear that the missing woman was, in fact, accounted for and searching for herself. So, when you pray, what are you looking for? Are you sure you're looking for the right thing? Are you, well, really, we should be seeking God. And that's what David does. He is seeking the Lord. He's diligent in that purpose, and he wants the Lord to receive him. Verse 7 tells us that David wants the Lord to, that David wants the Lord to hear him. Hear my voice, Lord. And he increases the intensity of this seeking by declaring in his prayer that he seeks the face of God. David's prayers are full of passion for seeking God. I've talked about it many a times, and I want to share with you some words from Craig Groeschel that start with, you will always find what you're looking for. Think about the difference between two birds, a vulture and a hummingbird. Vultures soar high in the sky, looking and searching, and what does the vulture find? Dead things. The ugly, oversized bird doesn't stop until he finds lifeless, rotting roadkill. Contrast for a moment, if you will, the vulture to the tiny hummingbird. With the wings flapping 20 beats a second, what does a small bird find? Not dead things, but instead sweet, life-giving nectar. Daily, each bird finds what he is looking for, and the same is true for you. You can be on a roadkill diet, or you can find nectar in each day. It's up to you because you will find what you search for. Groeschel continues, he says, If you want to find things to be negative about and to worry about, it's not hard to do. If you plan to be critical, you don't have to look far to find a fault. If you choose to be negative, you will easily accomplish your goal. But if you want to see the good in life, you can find it everywhere. If you choose to watch for places where God is working, you'll see his love and his presence each place that you look. If you decide to look for hope and faith and a better future, you will discover these positive things and more and more countless times each day. And this is true when you pray. 
Yes, seek for the answers to your prayers, but even more in your prayer life, seek God and seek His face. And to add more substance to David seeking the Lord, there are some qualities that we can see in this psalm about how he seeks the Lord. And the first one is this, he's very truthful in his seeking of the Lord. David is clear all through Psalm 27 about who God is. He does not waver on who God is. In verse 1, he describes God as my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. Later, he says the Lord, that the house of the Lord is his refuge. It's another truth he's grabbing onto. And today we read in verse 9 that David speaks of God as my helper and my savior. All through this psalm, David declares the truth of God. And we would do well to do this in our own prayers, if not so much for God as for ourselves. When you and I are struggling, when the health of our bodies is acting up, when our finances are shaky, when we feel lonely, these are the moments, more than ever, that you and I need to remember the truth of God, because these are the moments when we will be tempted to doubt God. So we need to be standing like David does on truth in our prayers. David's also vulnerable in his prayers. That's another aspect of his prayer. It's very vulnerable. You know you can be truthful, but not vulnerable. We humans do it all the time. We can state facts, but we don't open up our hearts. But here in Psalm 27, David, the king of Israel, is vulnerable. Can you imagine the pressure he was under to look like he always had everything together and under control all the time? But David instead chooses to be vulnerable. He knows that to draw near to God in real prayer, he must be honest about what he's struggling with. And so, in verse 9, David echoes the fear that so many of us have. What if I pray and there's only silence? That's what a lot of people wonder. What if I ask God and he never shows up? And there in verse 9, David says, Do not hide your face. Do not turn me away. Do not reject me or forsake me. In this vulnerability, David expresses how close he is to God. He even says it's a bond closer than that of him and his parents. In verse 10, he says that though his parents might forsake him, he knows that God will receive him. David's an open book to the Lord, and he knows it. He makes no effort to hide it. This is one of the great lessons of the Psalms. The Psalms teach us that God desires us to be vulnerable, to be unpolished, to be authentic before him. And yes, David's truthful. David's vulnerable. He also has petitions. He includes those requests, and he's specific in those. He says, hear my voice. Do not hide. Do not reject. Teach me your way. Do not turn me over to my foes. And while David asks for these things, I get the impression that he's more concerned about seeking God than having his uh, requests answered. And the evidence I have for that is David's prayer just brims over with trust. That's the last aspect of his seeking. He's trusting in that seeking. David is confident in his seeking of God. He says as much in verse 13, I will see the goodness of the Lord. David trusts that this will happen. He knows that if he sees the goodness of the Lord, all the other troubles he's concerned about will be taken care of. So he can have trust in his prayer life, knowing that God is good and that all those things will get taken care of. Then comes the hardest part of the prayer. David seeks. And in that seeking, he does that seeking with truth. He does it with vulnerability, with petitions, with trust. But then the hard part comes. David waits. 
Psalm 27, 14. The last verse of the psalm, that's that waiting part. It says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Lewis Smedes writes these words, waiting is the hardest work of hope. And Richard Hendricks says this, Second only to suffering, waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality most of us ever encounter. Ha! I think it's telling to say that suffering and waiting are (laughs) twins, or maybe the two greatest teachers in godliness. That's, ah, waiting is miserable work. This is because waiting is accompanied with thoughts like, what if? Or time's running out, or this isn't going to work. You need to remember that those thoughts are just concerns we have. And you also need to remember that waiting has a purpose. Bob Gass says this, Waiting time will not be wasted time. And this is especially true as you wait on God. In life, people often say that the journey is just as important as the destination. And that's all well and good to say until you have to wait. Waiting feels so powerless. Waiting feels so unproductive. However, waiting on God might just be the best way that you and I can grow. Frank Lebowitz says this, The opposite of talking isn't listening. The opposite of talking is waiting. And one of the keys to waiting on God is to remember that our, we have a role when we wait. Max Lucado shares an insight into this. He says, So here I sit in the waiting room. The receptionist took my name, recorded my insurance data, and gestured to a chair. Please have a seat. We'll call on you when the doctor's ready. I look around. A mother holds a sleepy baby. A fellow dressed in a suit thumbs through a Time magazine. A woman with a newspaper looks at her watch, sighs, and continues the task of the hour, waiting. The waiting room. It's not an examination room. That's down the hall. It's not the consultation room. That's the other side of the wall. Not the treatment room. Exams, consultations, and treatments all come later. The task at hand is the name of the room, the waiting room. We in the room wait, and we understand our assignment. We don't treat each other, and I don't ask the nurse for a stethoscope or a blood pressure cuff. I don't pull a chair next to the woman with the newspaper and say, tell me what prescriptions you're taking. That's the job of the nurse. My job is to wait, and so I do. I can't say I like it. Time moves like an Alaskan glacier in the waiting room. The clock ticks every five minutes, not every second. And someone presses the pause button pause button and life is in slow motion. Perhaps you felt that way when you're waiting in a waiting room. <sighs> and it feels that way when we wait on God. You must remember that waiting on God is necessary and it's productive. Also, while you wait, what you do and who you are matters. Waiting doesn't mean passiveness. Your actions matter. Your life matters. There are two great temptations we face while we wait on God to answer our prayers. The first is that we doubt the goodness of God. We've already mentioned that. The second is that we try to take matters into our own hands instead of according to God's plan. The moment you take matters into your own hands and out of God's plan, you step into tremendous difficulty and struggle. While you wait, you are to live as a child of God. That's our purpose. God has made it clear that his people are to have a covenant to keep and a creation to steward and a gospel to share. There are things to do while we wait. But when we're waiting on an answer for our prayers, our role is to wait and not take matters into our own hand. 
verse 14 tells us twice to wait, to wait upon the Lord. And sandwiched between those, because they're at the beginning and the end. So in the middle, the Lord tells us how we are to wait. And he says, while you wait, be strong and take heart. Or you could say, be strong and courageous. And that phrase is echoed all over the Old Testament. Those Hebrew words, those exact words, are asking us to be strong and courageous. And 12 times that phrase rings out over the Old Testament. I'm going to read a lot of them, most of them. But I don't read all of those texts today. But I want you to get a sense of that call to be strong and courageous. And it's while we take action, it's while we wait. And waiting is an action that we take before the Lord. Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 7 says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 7 says, When Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, In the presence of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with his people into the land the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. Deuteronomy 31 verse 23 says, The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun, Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. In the book of Joshua, that's probably the most famous place we read those words, be strong and courageous. It's there in chapter 1, three times, actually four times in chapter 1, all a little bit different. I'm going to read a few of them to you. Verses 6 and 7 say, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And again, it says in verse 7, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it, from the right or to the left, that you may be successful in whatever you do. In verse 9, he says, God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. In verse 18, as Israel is worried about the people that are in the land, the Lord says again, Be strong and courageous. In Joshua chapter 10, verse 25, we read these words, Joshua said to them, meaning to Israel, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. In 1 Chronicles, it shows up again. 1 Chronicles 22, verse 13. It says, Then you'll have success if you are careful to observe the decrees and the laws that the Lord gave to Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 20, we see these words. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until the work of the service of the temple is done. Second Chronicles 32 verses 7 and 8, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than him. With him is only the army of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. And of course, what we read today, Psalm 27, it uses those same exact Hebrew words, be strong and courageous. That is who we are to be and how we are to wait. The way we wait matters. We need to be strong and courageous in it. So wait. Do not waver in believing the truth of God, and do not waver in trusting in the goodness of God. Be courageous in that waiting. One last story as we close here. It's the story of the old man in the chair. That's a story that Brennan Manning tells, and it's a true story. It goes like this. The old man's daughter had asked the local priest to come and pray with her father. 
When the priest arrived, he found a man lying in bed with his head propped up on two pillows and an empty chair beside his bed. The priest assumed that the old fellow had been informed of his visit. I guess you're expecting me, he said. No, I wasn't. Who are you? Well, I'm the new associate at your parish, the priest replied. When I saw the empty chair, I figured you knew I was going to show up. Oh, yeah, the chair, said the bedridden man. Would you mind closing the door? Puzzled, the priest shut the door. I've never told anyone this, not even my daughter, said the man, but all my life I've never known how to pray. At Sunday Mass, I used to hear the pastor talk about prayer, but it always went right over my head, and I finally said to him one day, in sheer frustration, I get nothing out of your homilies on prayer. Here, says my pastor, reaching into the bottom drawer of his desk, read this book by Hans Urs von Balthasar. He's a Swiss theologian. It's the best book on contemplative prayer in the 20th century. Well, Father, says the man, I took that book home and tried to read it, but the first three pages I had to look up twelve words in the dictionary. I gave the book back to my pastor and thanked him, and under my breath I whispered, For nothing. I abandoned any attempt at prayer, he continued, until one day, about four years ago, my best friend said to me, Joe, prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. And here's what I suggest. Sit down on a chair, place an empty chair in front of you, and in faith, see Jesus on the chair. It's not spooky, because he promised, he'll be, I'll be with you all the days. Then, just speak to him, and listen in the same way that you're doing to, with me right now. So, Padre, I tried it, and I liked it, so much that I do it a couple hours every day. I'm careful, though. If my daughter saw me talking to an empty chair, she'd, have me, she'd either have a nervous breakdown or send me off to the funny farm. The priest was deeply moved by the story and encouraged the old guy to continue on the journey. Then he prayed with him, anointed him with oil, and returned to the rectory. Two nights later, the daughter called to tell the priest that her father had died that afternoon. Did he seem to die in peace, he asked. Yes. When I left the house around two o'clock, he called me over to his bedside. He told me one of his corny jokes, and he kissed me on the cheek. And when I got back from the store an hour later, I found him passed away. But there was something strange, Father. In fact, beyond strange. Kind of weird. Apparently, just before Daddy died, he leaned over and rested his head on a chair beside his bed. Prayer is a very personal conversation with God, and it's a place of comfort. And the old man in the story knew this, and David knew this, and now we know this. That conversation happens with earnest seeking and waiting. Will you do this? Let's pray. Lord, teach me to seek you. And as I seek you, show yourself to me, for I cannot seek you unless you show me how, and I will never find you unless you show yourself to me. Let me seek you by desiring you, and desire you by seeking you. Let me find you by loving you, and love you in finding you. Help me to want to seek and wait on you all the days of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.